You're listening to a podcast from Camden Nazarene. Camden Nazarene is a Christ-centered and community-focused church located in Camden, South Carolina. We gather for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m., and you're invited to be our guest this Sunday. Here we go. All right, open. This looks new. Make it safe. What is it? Uh, okay, caution. There is a dangerous smell, people. Hold on, what is that? This is disgust. She basically keeps Riley from being poisoned, physically and socially. That is not brightly colored or shaped like a dinosaur. Hold on, guys. It's broccoli! Yeah! Well, I just saved our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not going to get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fair. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Ah! Right, right. Here comes an airplane. Ah! Oh, airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. To shape our emotions. We're called to have emotions like compassion, which, which lead us to helping or, or looking out for those who are experiencing tragedy and loss. Last week, we took a look at the power of fear and the power of anxiety and how we can have power over our lives. But, but we're reminded that more powerful than, than the power of, of anxiety is the power that's in the name of Jesus. The power that's in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm just going to stop right here. I know it's 930 and I know it's early, but I still need some amens because last week, I don't know what was going on, but I, I was going back and watching the video and I wanted to use that clip to, to, to talk about how good, how, you know, hey, you should come to our church. This is what we're talking about. And I said something really good about, do you believe that the power of Jesus can break the chains of darkness? And I heard a, <coughs> All right, cool. All right. You know, and in the moment it catch me when I went and watched the video, I was like, well, I got a cough. You know, got, I got a cough on that one. 
So I know it's 930. I don't know if you guys need to get up a little bit earlier and get your coffee going or, or whatever, but maybe when we start Sunday school, maybe we'll all be in, be in there. But, but let's, man, help me out here. I hope we all believe that there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power that, that no fear, no anxiety can overcome the power of the name of Jesus. So last week we were reminded of that. And we were reminded that no matter how we feel, it doesn't change the truth, the truth of our faith, the truth that God is with us, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. The truth that we serve a God who knows exactly where we are. We serve a God who understands our emotions. We serve a God who, who, who has experienced despair, who has, has experienced anxiety. We saw, that, uh, we saw that exemplified there in the Garden of Gethsemane last week. He is right there with you. And so this morning, we want to talk about anger. Do you know any angry people? Do you know any angry people? You may be saying, yeah, it's me. I don't know. It's me. They changed church at 930 in the morning. I'm the one that's angry. But do you know anyone who is, who is angry? You know, we live in a world, we have a lot to be angry about, it seems like. When I get on social media, I feel like Tim McGraw. I don't know why you got to be angry all the time. You know, that's just what I feel like. Thank you. I, I got halfway into that. And I was like, man, they're going to fall asleep on that one too. I mean, it's a Tim McGraw lyric. Come on. Golly. <laughs> But we just live in a world where we just, you know, it, there's so much, so much anger out there. Everything is, I think a part of it is everything is political these days. You ever thought about that? Notice that everything is seen through a political lens. And we know that passions run high when you start talking about our politics. More than just politicizing everything, we've, we've taken things a step further and we've turned everything into what's called identity Politics. Have you heard this phrase, identity politics? That, that, that essentially is saying when, you, when someone does just one thing, you just assume all this other stuff about him. Like last week, I made a comment that I saw something or I, I heard something when I was listening to NPR radio. Now, identity politics would say, pastor's listening to NPR radio. He must be one of those liberals. That's identity politics because... Because I did one thing, you have make all these assumptions. He must vote one, he must vote so-and-so. He's listening to NPR radio. That's not even the case. And it happens on the reverse. So-and-so's got a Trump sign in the yard. Well, that must mean this, 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 and all, all this. That's identity politics. We've all, we've all become a, a victim to it in some way, form, or fashion. And so because of all that, everything being politicized, it just seems like there's a just a lot, of, a lot of anger that we see. Even the decisions that we make are politicized. Well, you know, at that church, they, they, um, they want you to wear a mask the whole time. It must be ran by a bunch of liberals because they're all wearing masks. Well, you know, at that church, they never close down. They don't even wear a mask. They, you know, they must, they must spend all their time watching some of those right-wing uh, news sites or something. You know, everything, even our decision about a mask, we have all these assumptions that we're, that we're making. And so just to be clear, there's no, as we dive into today's text, there's no agenda here. <laughs> there's no agenda here. The only agenda here is to look at how Jesus dealt with the emotion of anger. And so the, the, the very first video that we watched, it helped us understand what is anger. Anger is this emotion that when we see something that's not right, when maybe something that's not, quote, quote, fair, 
So we know that something should be this way, but it's this way. Sometimes that emotion of anger is what, is what wells up within us, that we need something needs to be fixed, something needs to be taken care of. So the next question is, is it a sin to be angry? Is it a sin to be angry? And, and the short answer is no, it's not a sin to be angry. Look at the Apostle Paul. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 26. And we'll read through 27. In your anger, Paul says, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Look at this next part. And do not give the devil a foothold. Amen. Do not give the devil a foothold. So there, there is an appropriate place for anger within the realm of human emotion. We get angry for a variety of reasons, but it's how we respond and direct our anger that matters most. We were talking about this this past Wednesday with, when I was, I was teaching our students, when I was working with, uh, with, with youth ministry. And, and we were talking about where Jesus says there in the Beatitudes to, to forgive those who have wronged you and you know, don't, don't allow anger to, to guide your, your emotions. And we talked about how while it's not a sin to be angry, Many times, sin is rooted in anger. Sin is a result of your anger that, is, that has gotten out of control. A sin against someone else. They said this, or they... So the scripture reminds us that in our anger, do not sin. Don't allow Satan to get a foothold you see, because if we're not careful, we can make careless decisions when we're angry. Can anyone identify with that? We make careless decisions when we're angry. Thank you, Larry, for being honest. The rest of them, they know it's true, but they just... I, I think we've all, we've all been there. I mean, we, we've all had those, had those moments where we just, we, we just can't even think straight. And so Paul gives us a warning to not sin in our anger, and he goes further to describe anger as a way that the devil can get a foothold into our lives. The word foothold here, it literally means place or room. If we're not careful, we can focus on our anger instead of recognizing the cause of our anger and working to fix the cause. Our anger isn't to be such an obsession that we can't focus on anything else. Our focus should always be Jesus Christ. And anger can take our focus off Christ and can put it onto whatever issue is making us angry. And, and it can turn in such, a, in, in such a negative way. And so I love that Paul says, don't allow, don't allow Satan to get a foothold. There's something in your marriage that, 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 makes, you, that makes you angry. Paul is saying, you got to deal with that. you got to work through that because that can become a foothold for the devil to come in and destroy your marriage. There may be something, even at church, that, that makes your, there may be something that someone does that makes you angry. That can become a foothold that Satan can kind of begin to come in and say, can you believe so-and-so did that again? Can you believe so-and-so said that again? Can you believe so-and-so showed up to that meeting? Can you believe that she would do that? It's nervous laughs because we all know it's happened before. And those are, those are footholds that Satan likes to, to get in. And here's the thing, folks. 
We, as people, we, we believe that we fully surrender our lives to Christ. And when we do that, we are, we are in constant surrender. We're constantly allowing the grace of Jesus to, to shape us in such a way that there are no footholds in our heart. That, that's how we should live. That's how we should, that's what our desire is to be, that there are no footholds. There are no places. There are no rooms for, for the devil to be able to wiggle in and to squeeze in to begin to cause division. That's what it is to, to always be seeking Christ in holiness. It's just saying, there are no footholds here, Satan. <laughs> there's, there's no room here. There's no, there's no place. For so we know it's not, a, it's not a sin to be angry. And so I think the call for us is then to be angry like Jesus. To be angry like Jesus. How do we, how do we glorify God in our anger? Just like we have in previous weeks, we look to Jesus as our example. We, we, we typically associate emotions like compassion and love and grace with Jesus. And rarely do we talk about Jesus being angry. But Scripture tells us of a time. There's, there's other times that I'm sure Jesus was frustrated that caused him to, to, on the fringe of anger. But one moment in particular, we see Jesus angry. And we find that in Matthew 21. Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. It's, it's getting ready. It's, it's time for Passover. And we usually read this text in the springtime because it's a text that is part of the Holy Week, the week that leads up to Easter. And so Jesus, he's already made that triumphal entry, that, that entry that we talk about on Palm Sunday. He's made his entry into the city, into Jerusalem, and he, and he heads straight for the temple. Now, Jewish historian Josephus tells us that Jerusalem usually would have had about a population of about 40,000, but at Passover, it would swell to over 250,000 because everybody, everybody was coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, including Jesus. And so Jesus, he, he makes his way in and he, he heads straight for the temple. And this is the description that we get in Matthew 21, verses 12 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the, and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So Jesus is upset. You ever have a friend that gets upset, and when they get upset, you're like, you better watch out, so I'm so upset. And I think the disciples, I don't know if they've ever seen Jesus like this, but, I mean, the scene, he goes in, he starts turning tables. One gospel account, I think the gospel of Mark, its account gives us that he makes a whip out of leather, and he uses the whip to drive people out. Now, that's real. That's really angry. Matthew left that. I guess Matthew was trying to make him look not as angry as maybe he was. But the other gospel writer said, hey, he made a whip and he started clearing the place out. So he's upset. Some of us may see this as a license to go off and say, Pastor, this is my verse. This is my verse, Pastor. Man, I'm always ready to flip some tables on somebody. You don't understand who I work with. You don't understand who I live with. No, I didn't say that. But you don't understand. You don't understand, Pastor, 
I'm going to be like Jesus. Righteous indignation. I'm ready to flip some tables. But we have to remember, this is the first thing I want you to see. Jesus is known for his love and not his anger. So we can't forget that. You have to read, when you read this in the, in the context, you, you have to remember, Jesus is known for his love, not for his anger. He loved the outcast. He, he loved the down and out. When everyone shunned the people with diseases, Jesus went to those individuals with diseases. When, when people shunned the, the Samaritan woman who had had multiple husbands, when they said, no one go and talk to her, when the woman had to go to the well by herself in the heat of the day because no one would want to be associated with her, Jesus went to those kinds of people. And so Jesus, he, his, his first instinct is love. But we have to remember that Jesus got angry. And this is the next thing I want you to see. Jesus got angry when people were hurting. Jesus got angry when others were hurting. So think about this. So, so we, know, we know Jesus is capable of really throwing down. I mean, anybody come in, start throwing out tables. If you read the other gospel writer with, with a whip, I mean, we know that he can just, if it's time to throw down, we can throw down. But think of all the other moments where Jesus perhaps had the opportunity to really go off on somebody. Think about the Pharisees who always tried to entrap him. The Pharisees that were always looking to try to entrap him into a situation. Think about when he went home to Nazareth and he was rejected there. Going a step further. Think about, think about that moment when Judas betrayed him. Think about the moment when one of his closest confidants, Peter, denied him. Think about that moment where he's being beaten by a Roman soldier, where he's being placed on a cross. All these moments in which Jesus could have gotten angry, but he did not exercise his anger in that moment because we know that Jesus is known for his love, and Jesus gets angry when others are hurting. What particulars cause Jesus to be upset? In this narrative are the money changers. And no, this didn't have anything to do with the fact that they're there selling, okay? I, I just, we wanna, I, I've said this before. This doesn't mean that you can't have fundraisers at your church. This doesn't mean that if Evangelist Billy Huddleston comes and he preaches and he wants to offer a product table in which he doesn't, he says, it's a donation, you take it or you can whatever. That doesn't mean that we have rules against all, this scripture is not a proof text, for all of that, we're totally missing the point. We're totally missing the point if we use this text to, to make up some sort of rule about who can sell something, you know, in the church or, or whatever. That's not the point of this. The point is, you've got these money changers at a table, and they're cheating people. We say, why are the money changers there? Well, the Pharisees had set up their own temple currency. So all the other money from all over the world. So think about it. Everyone from all over the known world is coming into Jerusalem. People have different monies, uh, different denominations of money. And the temple had its own currency. So you had to take your currency, take it to a money changer, and get temple currency. So then you could go and then buy a sacrifice if you couldn't bring one with you. And so these money changers, were, they were putting 50, 75% upcharge on the exchange rate. 
And then the fact that Matthew talks about, he, he specifically points out the dove table. So this would have been the table for the poor. Because in Jewish law, I mean, you, 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 you would have brought a lamb, you would have brought a, a large animal for sacrifice, but the poor couldn't always afford that. And so even in Jewish law, there was this provision for the poor to be able to sacrifice doves. And so what you saw was there was a barrier between the down and out and God. They had created this barrier by putting in uh, enormous exchange rates, by, by charging way too much for a dove. They had put in barriers. It's like you ever gone to a, a football game, and if you go to the Bojangles outside the football stadium, you can get you a biscuit for about $1.50. You wait until you go inside, like $4, you know? Or $6. You know, same thing with popcorn. You know, I've never met a kernel of corn that was worth $6 a bucket. Amen. You know? I want to see the profit margin on concessions. You know? And I think we're going to see it this year, right? I think we're going to see uh, college football. Is, uh, they've, wrote, they've written the check on a lot of stuff. And uh, this year we're going to find out of what they've written the check on. They're not going to be able to cash because... Uh, they can't sell $6 popcorn to pay for that new weight room that they put in down there. Anyway, that's, that's, that's totally just meddling. <laughs> but you know it's true. You know, you, know, you know it happens. And so this is what made Jesus angry is because the down and out were being excluded. So one commentary described it this way, that, that two doves on the street might cost about four pence. When you go inside to the temple, they would raise the price up to about 75 pence. I mean, it's highway robbery. So why was he upset? Why was he angry? He wasn't angry over that, that, that someone did to him. He wasn't angry about what someone did to him. He was angry on the behalf of the mistreatment of other people. And so here's where being angry like Jesus may differ from our normal reaction in anger. Jesus is angered and he moves into action, but not any kind of action. Storming into the temple may have seemed careless, but actually it's very calculated. Remember, his anger is rooted in others. And so in flipping a table, look, look at this image here. is isn't just flipping a table. This table represents a system that's keeping people out. This table represents something that's keeping the marginalized from accessing God. And so in flipping the table, he's flipping the system over. He's saying, I'm not going to have any of this. There's not going to be any sort of system that's going to keep people away from my father's house. And so as one pastor put it, Pastor Albert Tate put it, I like this. When Jesus got angry, he flipped tables he didn't flip people. We got to remember that. Some of you guys are hearing this like, man, I'm ready to go flip something. Wait till I get home. I heard, it. I heard a sermon on righteous indignation. I'm going to flip something. He flipped tables. He didn't flip people. And so the point I'm trying to make is as believers, we should be moved into action. We should be moved into action. When we see something that is an, is an injustice that goes against God's design, then of course, that should make us upset. And of course, we know that there is plenty to be upset about in the world that we live in. I know for me, I get angry when I see a disregard for 
unborn life. Or I get angry when I see evidence of human trafficking, not only in our own country, but in our own county, folks. That should make us angry. I don't know if you saw that. A couple weeks ago, there was a, there was a, big, a big bust in our own county. Human trafficking. That, that, should, that should make us angry. It angers me to see racial injustices and know that people are treated differently because of their skin color. It angers me to see a disregard for our laws and those who wear the uniform that wear, that, that represent those laws. See, we live in a country, we live in a world where it's got to be you to this or that. I'm like, how about and? How about the word and? Can we operate off of the word and? You know, can I, can I stand up for racial justice but also recognize that there are people who wear uniforms that protect us and also stand up for them and to support them? Can, can we put an and in here? Why does it have to be or? See, we live in an or life, right? We live in a, well, it's either this or this. I, I put this on Facebook a while back. You probably saw it. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I was scrolling through Facebook a while back, and I saw two images that angered me. The one was a video of a minority man being arrested. He was complying with the uh, officer's uh, commands. He had his hands up. I mean, there was nothing there. I, again, I don't know what was before the video. I, I, I get all that. I'm just just. Saying thing for face for face value. A young young minority man was being arrested. As they go to lower his arms to put him back, uh, one officer decides that they just want to kick him in the back. Just you know, that made me upset. I'm gonna be honest with you. So then I don't even scroll like one more thumb swipe up, and I see another video of a police officer taking off his riot gear. You can tell that he has been probably 12 hours of dealing with all this mess. And then out of, the, out of nowhere comes this metal circular object like a hubcap that comes flying in that someone had thrown and hits him right in the neck and he's on the ground. That made me angry. Separate issues. But they both made me angry. And as Christians, those things should bother us. Amen. And as you can imagine, I shared that one video and they're like, well, you don't know what happened on that, the first video. Well, you don't know what was going on. I'm like, can, do, can, can we not just, can we not, do we have to always say that? Can we just <laughs> say that you just shouldn't treat people that way? You know, whatever the video is. So, so these are things. So as believers, I think that these are things that should concern us. It angers me when I realize the, the home life of some of the kids that attend our schools, even here in our own county. I'm angered by the political rhetoric that is a part of our world today. And I get it. There are so many things to be passionate about. But I think for the followers of Christ, it's also important to remember that while there are times when tables need to be flipped, we should be careful to not always be looking to flip tables. For some of you here, you may be thinking, like I said, man, I'm ready. Let's go flip some tables. But don't forget. And this is a comment for me, too. Posting on Facebook doesn't mean that you took care of the problem. All right? You know, always being outraged on Facebook doesn't always handle the problems. You see, for Christians, we have to make sure that things that upset us, they move us into action in a way that shows the love of Jesus. That shows the love of Jesus. You see, because if we're not careful, as a church community... 
When, when the, there's things that we're passionate about, if we're not careful, we can come off as self-righteous. So we have, to, we, have to, we have to be careful. We have to use the discern the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, work in me. Lord, help me to channel my anger. You know this makes me angry. You know I, I can't believe that, that, that one side would, would believe this way about this and that, and that folks would vote that way or, or this. Lord, you know that really bothers me. And so we have to, we have to look say, Lord, help me to, Lord, help me to, to use to give me words to speak to someone's life that doesn't come off as being self-righteous, but comes off in a way that we're able to explain the gospel. And yeah, there are things about the gospel that we just can't accept certain things, but even in those moments, we still speak with love and we still speak because we know that we should always work to value the relationship over the argument. Ever think about that? I think as believers, we should always work to value the relationship over the argument. That, that, and I think, I think that's, just, that's just me. There, I think there are a lot of people that, man, I disagree vehemently with over so many issues. But I never want to get to a point where I ruin my witness because of the, because of, of the argument. And so, as a result of Jesus' actions, we see that the hurting were healed as a result of Jesus' anger. Look at Matthew, look at verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. So Jesus storms into the temple, he flips tables, he drives away the money changers, tells them to go and get a life, go do something else. And then immediately, the blind and the lame came to him. People were, as, at a, as a result of his anger, people were healed. The hurting were ministered to. And so as we begin to wrap it up, I want to I make you aware of, of, of a few things. Things that should bother us as believers. Things that should, should, should bother us, but shouldn't cause us to Go and tear someone else down. But things that should, should bother us. We, we mentioned uh, human trafficking a little bit ago. We, we mentioned uh, the, the fact that so many children are gone missing. And, 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 we, and stats tell us very clearly that they're not just missing, that they've been sold into some sort of form of, of, of human trafficking, human slavery, to go and to do things that I'm not even going to mention or verbalize on this platform, but you understand what all that means. And, 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 and so we see this happening, not just in our world. Like you, you think about slavery, you think about modern day slavery. Like, oh, that's, that's like, that's so like 200 years ago, hundred years ago. Like, no, 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 it, it's, it's still happening. And so this Sunday is what we call freedom Sunday in the church of the Nazarene. And, and it's a Sunday where we're going to highlight the efforts of Nazarene compassionate ministries. They're, they're on the front lines there uh, in, in fighting human trafficking. This is something that should, that should anger us. This is something that we should flip the table on, flip the system on its end, remove the barrier. This is something that we as, as churches should come together to, to flip the table on human trafficking. 
And so uh, scattered there throughout the pews is a, is a little handout on, on Freedom Sunday. It tells you a little bit how the church is, is involved. And uh, just to make you aware, I, I want to show you this video uh, from Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. And then we'll, uh, we'll begin to, to close out. Check this out. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. In our world today, experts estimate that 40 million children, women and men are victims of slavery. Human trafficking is a crime that turns people into commodities to be bought and sold. It's not only something that happens far from home, it's also happening where we live, in our own communities. Every person victimized by trafficking is a child of God, dearly loved and made in His image. It's time to come together as a church to take a stand against human trafficking. It's time to help those who are oppressed go free. So, yeah, I don't know how, how much you were aware of, of what is, is taking place uh, in, in our world. But, but please know that you're a part of a church uh, that through our connectional, being connected in the church in Nazarene, we are in church that's on the forefront uh, of, of these things. And so this morning we're going to receive a, a, a Freedom Sunday offering uh, here in a moment when we're dismissed. Uh, there'll be ushers at the back. And if you want to put in something extra, you can do that. Uh, there's also instructions on how you can give electronically. Uh, if you give online uh, with our church already, you can just give a little extra and you can mark it special giving. And we'll know uh, that, is, that, that, that is going towards the Freedom Sunday offering. Lord, uh, folks, we, we live in a broken world. Man, we, we live in a world where there's so many things that, that, that sadden us, that, that make us... Make us angry. And, but my prayer is that we would be people that rely on the guidance and the spirit of the Holy Spirit on how to respond. You know, everyone's created differently. Everyone has different focuses. You may, uh, you know, you, you may, you may want to fight for the cause of, of the unborn. Obviously, that's a, a cause that we believe in as a church. Or y- y- your thing may be racial injustice. I mean, there, there are all so many things, but... The world needs a united church to be able to overcome these things. The world needs a united church to be, to be able to overcome these things. And so it's my prayer that we use the, the passions that well up within us, the things that, that just make us, little, that make us uncomfortable when, you, when we see them, that Lord would move us into action. And as we, before we totally wrap up, I do want to make sure that you understand this. And there may be some watching on, online that, that, haven't, that haven't asked Christ to, to come into their life. But please know this. 
that God moved on your behalf as well. That the love of God moved on your behalf as well. Colossians remind us that, the the book of Colossians remind us that while we were yet sinners, while we we were dead in our transgression, we were dead in our sinful nature, God made us alive in Christ and he forgave all of our sins. That he, he canceled the record of, of all of that because God moved on our behalf. And so I don't want to leave a service without us fundamentally understanding that we serve a God who moved on our behalf. And I don't know where you are. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know what is, is going on in your life. But please know that there is a living hope that is ours in Christ. A living hope for you and for me because Christ moved on our behalf. And guess what, church? Those of us who are believers, we're called to move as well. We're called to move out of love. We're called to move out of passion for the cause and for the mission of Christ. Would you stand with us? And let's sing this together. visiting candanaz.church.